We're going through the book of Ephesians, and the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is talking about the wealth of what we have in Christ in regards to the salvation message that has been granted to us. We are people who are adopted. We are people who are chosen. We are people who are redeemed. Uh, we are people who are um, given the sealing of the Holy Spirit. We are people who are saved. We are people who have grace. We are people who have a church, which is a body of believers to walk with. So let's just give us a download of blessing for the first three chapters. And that download of blessing could be categorized under one word, which would be wealth. And then chapter four started out, which we're in now, uh, where the word changes from wealth to walk. First three chapters about wealth, next three chapters is about walk. And uh, the word therefore changes the whole dynamic of the book that says, therefore, since you have all this wealth, walk in this way. So we're looking at four weeks, just a fast review. How are you supposed to walk? Walk worthy of the calling which you have received, which would be Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Walk by using your spiritual gifts, Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. Walk differently from the Gentiles, Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. And then walk by taking off your old self and putting on your new self, Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. And uh, the topic that we're looking at today is, is just going to be um, another addition to walk by taking off your old self and putting on your new self. Last week we talked about lying and anger, and then this passage gives us a download of basic principles of how we are to walk. So let's look at Ephesians 4, 28 through 32. He who, ste- must, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who is in need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as in good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So we definitely see a lot of different commands on how we are supposed to walk, and as we unpack this verse and work through those commands, I want to give the same note that I gave last week. Number one, a Christian leads a godly life not because they are told to, but because they are infused with a glorious fact of who they are. As I look back in my life and I evaluate when I was a child, um, I mean, if I was a good child or not a good child, if I obeyed or if I did not obey, why would I obey rather than not obey? And, and if I evaluate that, I, the reasons why I would obey is um, I wanted to, to make sure that my mom was respected. I didn't want to hurt my parents. I didn't want to hurt my father. I did not want to hurt my mother. I didn't want to dis- disappoint them. And that was the strongest drive that was inside of me that said, you know, I need to make sure that I walk the straight and narrow because I don't want to inflict pain um, on, on them. It was a motivation. It was a drive. And, and even when you're sitting in class when you're little kids, you know, why, why would you behave in class? Um, the reason why you behave in class is because often you look at the teacher and say, you know, I don't want to be disruptive. She's trying to accomplish something. I don't want to be disruptive. I don't want to, I don't want to step on um, what she's trying to do. Uh, as soon as you start looking at somebody else, that is the strongest motivation to say, I'm going to knock it off. I'm going to behave. I'm going to do what I need to do. 
what has taken place is that uh, we've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. And as we've been saved by the blood of the Lamb, we have a new king, a new master, a new savior, a new love, a new father. And as a sense of having all those new things of being saved, that's what salvation is, it's like, well, I'm going to live underneath that umbrella now. I'm going to live under the umbrella that I have a new king, a new master that writes down everything that I do, right and wrong, that keeps an eye on me, that walks with me. And there's an inside part that should be inside of all of us that says, you know what, since I have him, I'm going to respond in such a way. Paul challenges us to respond in such a way by laying aside the old self and then putting on the new. Before we walked into this passage, uh, we see Ephesians 4, 22. This is the passage I brought up last week before it launches into the basic principles that are extremely practical. It says, in reference to the former manner of life, lay aside your old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust, of de- with the lust and deceit, and that you, being renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. This is, this is Paul's, when he pens it, this is God's mind of how we are supposed to walk and what motivates us to walk in such a way. We're a new creation. We have a new heart. We have a new mind. We have a new self. We have a new life with a new king, a new master, a new savior, a new love, a new father, and a new God. That's what salvation is. And that is a source that drives us to walk in such a way. That is a source that drives us to say, my old is gone and my new is here. Therefore, I will take this off and I'll walk in this way. So let's just look at uh, the challenges that Paul has given us on how we should walk the first challenge is take off stealing and put on work. Take off stealing and put on work. Now, as soon as you read this verse, I mean, I just tell you that my mind automatically goes to um, the person who uses drugs who's stealing my tools. And I, if I ever see him, I want to bring the Bible out and say, stop stealing, get a job. You know, that's, that's the person we think that that verse is, is, is applied to. But it's not applied to that. It's applied to Christians. Therefore, the verse is even insinuating that we might even be stealing. So let's just look at this and, and, and unpack it. I want to read the verse and then try to figure out what has taken place in regards to this verse and how it is communicating to us. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with, with one who has need. So when you look at the word stealing, what is stealing? Well, look at three words that are driving the passage. You have don't steal, and then you have another word, work, and then they have a third word, share. So if you can try to figure out what steal is, don't steal, work. Well, that's not the guy who's stealing all my tools in the shop because he needs money for drugs. It's don't steal, work. What would that explanation of stealing be in regards to that verse? The, the fast explanation that I just put penned down would be, don't take from society work for the purpose of giving to society. Don't take from society work for the purpose of giving to society. What happens is that there's a corporate responsibility that's underneath the, the radar. So in other words, if I'm irresponsible, somebody's going to have to pay the price. 
If somebody else is irresponsible, somebody else is going to have to pay the price. Responsibility doesn't get cast off and then done in the dirt. You don't even think about it anymore. No, if we are irresponsible, somebody is going to have to be responsible to measure up the corporate responsibility that is at stake. So if I'm not a responsible husband, my wife is going to have to pick up the slack. She's going to have to pick up to, to um, raise the responsibility level. If I'm, an un, if I'm not a responsible father... My kids are going to have to pay the price and, and pick up the slack. If I'm under, um, not a responsible pastor, then you're going to have to pick up the price and, uh, and fill in the slack. See, we live in this society, and, and underneath the society, there is a responsibility that is out there. And Paul is challenging us, don't steal. Be completely responsible above all else. That's why we get the commands of make sure that you feed the poor. Make sure you take care of your neighbor. Make sure you love the widow. Paul is saying, don't steal from society. Be the one that is on top of society that is driving, literally driving society in that regards. Be responsible, because if we're not, there is a price. When you look at the word discipline, uh, what is discipline? Discipline is saying you're irresponsible, Therefore, I'm going to make you pay so you will be responsible. You know, I'm going to go back into my childhood again and, and uh, uh, think of the times when I was raised. I remember we always had three boys in our family. It's my older brother, is me, and my younger brother. And uh, we had bikes. We always had bikes. We lived on our bicycles. And we'd leave our bicycles outside um, in the front yard. And uh, we lived in Gold Beach. So if you leave your bicycle in the front yard, you wake up in the morning, sometimes they get stolen. And they're gone. Well, that irresponsibility was what? Costing my mother. Because my mother wanted us to have bikes because we were enjoying them. But if they were stolen, my mother and father had to pay the price. Therefore, she said, I'm going to make you pay the price so you stop doing it. So she said, if you leave your bikes out, you get a choice. You either get grounded or you get a spanking. So, and you get to make the choice. You guys have all the power. I want you to be responsible. You get grounded, you get a spanking. Well, none of us, three boys, because grounded would be, you know, five days without a bicycle. That was it. It, was, it, was, it wasn't even grounded. It was five days without a bicycle or spanking. None of us could take five days without a bicycle. There's just no way we can do that. So we always took the spankings, but my oldest brother couldn't stand spankings. And me being the entrepreneur that I was, I walked up to him and I said, you know, um, I'll take your spanking for you if you give me some money. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and he, he thought about that and said, you know, that would actually be a good idea because I don't mind a fine rather than a spanking. And we brought that to my mom and said, hey, Mom, you know, um, what if I took Brian's spanking and then he would give me some money? You know, we'd both be, you know, disciplined. She says, if a bike's out, I'm going to spank a boy. I don't care which one it is. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not teaching you parenting, but that is what she said. And uh, therefore, I was making good money. <laughs> Until my brother was started to be responsible. Because when he's responsible, there's no price to pay. And therefore, that is when I go broke. Responsibility always costs. And discipline is the purpose of saying, people will pay the price. You will pay the price if you're not responsible. Because somebody else will have to pay the price if, if, um, if you don't get your responsibility act together. So look at stealing. It's talking about don't take from society. Work and give to society. We see it in the verse. Work so you can share with others. Now, I also want to look at this word work. You have stealing, but then you move into this, this word work. If you look at what the verse says, it says, 
labor. What does that mean? That means put your back into it. And then it talks about performing with your hands. That means put your hands on it. So what kind of jobs are we talking about here? We're talking about things that you put your back into, things that you put your hands on. Now, when Christians, we look at the Bible, we can often think, well, there's two different kind of jobs that are out there. There's the sacred jobs, and then there's the secular jobs. You know, the sacred jobs, just say, would be something that I'm doing. You know, I'm preaching the Word of God. I'm impacting people. This is a sacred job. And then there's a secular job, you know, a plumber, a contractor, um, in those things. And, and some churches and some believers even say that there's a big separation. Paul is saying there's no, sep- there's no separation. There's no separation between the sacred jobs and the secular jobs. What you should do is you should make your secular job a sacred job. What Paul is communicating is Paul is communicating that Christians should be the greatest contractors in the world. Christians should be the greatest doctors in the world. Christians should be the greatest lawyers in the world. Christians should be the greatest IT people in the world. See, what happens is that we live in a society, and believers should be going right through the society, literally driving the society for the glory of God. I work in such a way to glorify my king. I work in such a way to glorify my king, and when we do it, what happens? The world sees believers working. In fact, every CEO in the world wants to hire a believer because these believers, they come with so much integrity. They come with so much strength. They come with so much passion. It's like they're working for somebody else besides me. That's what Paul is communicating in this passage. You see, what happens is the world starts in a garden. Adam and Eve are in a garden, but where are we going to end up? We're going to end up in a city. We're going to end up in a city. It's going to move from a garden to a city. And who's going to drive the source? People that are going to drive the source are the people that are passionate and in love with God. Therefore, they will work for God rather than for others. They will pay the price for irresponsibility to the world for the purpose of glorifying God. For the purpose of glorifying God. So just to wrap this up, it says, take off stealing and put on work. What does this mean? Number two, it is a Christian, it's Christian's responsibility to light up the world. It is a Christian's responsibility to light up the world, and we can do it through our labor. We can do it through our attitude in our labor. We can do it through our work. We can do it in the environment that we are going to. When you look at um, work, work does something to a person, because, you know, I'll just tell you that work was always, it was not originally not cursed. God worked six days and then he rested. And then he gave Adam and Eve um, uh, responsibility, cultivate, maintain, and rule. And then all of a sudden, work got cursed when sin came into the world. And now Paul is given the challenge, work is cursed, but stand above it because work carries something that will make your character shine for good or for bad. Work will uh, has something inside of it that will make your motivations revealed, reveal your motivations. It will proclaim your skills. It will proclaim your abilities. It will give you your personal traits so we can walk into our job and say, I'm working for a master. I'm working for a king. And the whole world will see me lay my life down in my job for the purpose of getting things done, be completely and entirely responsible because a master is the one I'm working for. And my ultimate goal in the process is that you'll see the master that I love. 
So don't steal. Take it off. Work. What is don't steal? Stealing is irresponsibility. Selfishness. It's greed. It's cheating. It's seeking your own way. It's an ill spirit. If you're, per, if you're in charge of hiring somebody, these are all the characteristics that you would not want to have in the person that you hire. You just wouldn't want to have those characteristics. Paul is saying, yes, bosses don't want to have these characteristics in there. Therefore, you shouldn't have those characteristics in your job. And then he says work. What does that mean? Labor, sacrifice, commitment, passion, integrity, service. Every person that's hiring somebody would want that to come out of a person. Paul is giving the challenge to his church to go into society and make a difference in society for his name and for his glory because the jobs are going to reveal exactly who we are and what is inside of us. So first thing, don't steal and work. And then he moves to something else, something completely different. Take off unwholesome talk and put on building others up. Ephesians 4.28 Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as good for edification according to the needs of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. I want to look at this word unwholesome, and again, if you look at the word unwholesome, you want to connect it to the part of what you should not do and what you should do. It says, do not have unwholesome build others up. So when you look at unwholesome, it's going to be connected to build others up. Don't do this, but do this. So unwholesome is characterized as rotten, stinky, unhealthy, unpleasant, unnatural, the process of putting something on somebody that is absolutely ugly. It is the process of putting others down. It is a process of saying things that just come out of your mouth that is so ugly and gnarly and disgusting that it even puts others that are not even connected with you down. In fact, every swear word and the filthy talk and the wholesome talk that takes place, it's, it's, it's putting ladies down. It's putting women down. It's putting men down. It's putting sexuality down. The unwholesome talk is talk that is not whole. Paul is challenging us. Get rid of that. Instead of having that, only speak in such a way to build others up. That's what I want you to do. Get rid of this and do this. Why would he ask us to get rid of this and do this? It's the same thing that has taken place. Number three, it is Christians' responsibility to light up others. It is Christians' responsibility to light up the world, and now it's Christians' responsibility to light up others. See, we've come into this new life of redemption when we are saved. And then Paul has given us these practical things on how to live. But as he's given these practical things of how to live, there's a mission behind it. And the mission behind it is that we are alive in Christ, and therefore we should light others up so they can see that we are alive, and prayerfully they'll become alive in Christ as a result. Prayerfully they'll become alive in Christ as a result. So every conversation that we have, no wholesome talk should come out of our mouth. What is wholesome talk? Foul, diminishing, offensive, detestable. Those things do, not, not, do what? They do nothing but tear people down. Do nothing but tear people down. Crush people. Paul is saying, don't do that anymore. You're alive in Christ. So every single word that you speak should do nothing else but make people alive around you. Compliment, 
encourage, inspire, praise, acclaim, motivate. Yes, it's extremely practical, but the purpose behind the practical is to give life to the world. And the way that we give life to the world is to give life to others. Words carry extreme amount of power. I remember raising daughters. Every, my girls and every young girl has something inside themselves that am I loved by my father? Am I acceptable to my father? Am I beautiful to my father? And they say it to their, their moms too. Am I loved by my mom? Am I acceptable by my mom? Am I okay? In fact, everybody has a, a statement that is driving to say, am I okay? And that is the one thing that that, that just, just beams into somebody's head that I'm not. And therefore, they start asking people, am I okay? Remember when my daughters would put on little princess dresses when they were really young, and they'd come out and they'd twirl on the, twirl on the floor and say, Daddy, Daddy, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And I'd get so excited. I'd get so excited that I'd, I'd get to the floor and I'd sit there and I'd bang on the floor and say, you're absolutely gorgeous. And then they'd twirl faster and louder and the whole room just started to light up just because my daughter said, am I beautiful? And dad's like, oh my goodness, you're absolutely beautiful. And security is just going right into their mind of, wow, dad thinks that I am something. See, our, our tongue carries so much power to light somebody up. It carries the power to heal. Somebody that thinks that they're not okay, you just say, you are okay. Somebody that thinks they're not good, you say, you are good. Somebody that thinks that they're not accomplishing something, say, you are accomplishing something. Those words carry so much power. Tongue carries the power to build people up. Tongue carries the power to destroy people. We are alive in Christ, and we're supposed to make the world alive so they can see what we are alive by. Just in a Powerful, simple statements to say, don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Don't put people down. Build them up. Don't put people down. Build them up. Small things, practical things, but things that will change people and change the world around you. Then Paul gives us a list of a whole bunch of them. Take all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and malice. Put on kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. Very, very practical, and we know what they are, and we know what they mean, but there's also a theme that is going behind them, and I want to unpack this first to find out what the theme is that's going on behind it. Ephesians 4, 28, just want to read the verse before we get into the theme. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So just to go really fast on the definition of the words, bitterness, what does it mean? It's a sharp-like arrow that is venomous. Wrath is a boiling anger that is hot. Anger is a movement or an agitation that is in the soul. So anger is this movement, this emotional agitation that is there, and wrath is a boiling hot. So just taking it to a different level, it's a boiling hot anger that is moving inside of you. Clamor is is a cry, is a tear, it's it's an outcry. Slander is the intent to destroy with words. 
So you can see what's taking place. Bitter is a sharp arrow that is venomous. Wrath is a boiling hot anger. And anger is a movement or an agitation of the soul. And you are crying out. And since that is in you so hot, you are going to have an intent to make sure that people are going to pay for it. And you can't just walk up to the person and make them pay for it. So you will destroy their character by speaking to somebody else. By speaking around. Destroy who they are by making sure that their reputation is vain. And then malice is just an intent to destroy with will, with, um, intent to destroy with ill will. All these words carry a massive amount of destruction. And I would just say that the word, the theme of these words is the words of mass destruction. But if you look at the theme of these words and you call them mass destruction, where is the destruction lying? Who is receiving the destruction? The person that is receiving the destruction is not the person who victimized, but it is the person who is the victim. It is the person who is a victim. So what takes place is there's massive amount of destruction inside of us when bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice, we are destroying ourselves because of what somebody else did. It could even be, you could even be justified in saying, what happened to me was absolutely wrong. But what you're saying, what happened to me was absolutely wrong. You're pulling it inside yourself that I will ruin myself as a result of what they did. I will grant them the power to destroy myself with what they did. So when you look at these words, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice, designed to take you out and designed to destroy your life, that's what they are, what should you do as a result of it? Number four, it is a Christian's responsibility to take steps to light up their own lives. It's a Christian's responsibility to take steps to get the things out of your life that are designed to destroy you that is designed to wipe you out, that is designed to slaughter everything in the midst, everything that is next to you. I know that we're looking at this, and and Paul is just blunt. You know, he, he says, you know, take off bitterness. Get rid of it. Get rid of rage. Get rid of anger. Get rid of brawling. Get rid of slander. And we're sitting here, and it's like, how? <laughs> how? I mean, yes. Thank you, Paul, for your, your command, but, but how? You know, how do you take off this stuff that's inside of me that is ruining me. Just give you two steps in the biblical steps that I believe that are out there on if you're going to take this off, you just need to have two things that are in the back of your mind. Two things that you just need to come up with and say, I want these things to be removed. I need to do this. Number one, justice is not and never will be your responsibility. Justice is not and never will be your responsibility. And we'll go all the way back to Deuteronomy. Go back to Exodus. Exodus and then also Deuteronomy follows it. All the way back to Exodus, what do you have? You have the law that is given to man, given to mankind. And as you have the law that is given to mankind, this is how I'm supposed to behave. Then you have, that's in chapter 20, then you have the next six chapters saying, if the law is broken, this is what the government is supposed to do. (laughs) That's what's taking place in Exodus. Since the law is broken and you were hurt, and you were a victim, what happened is God gave the justice to the government. 
This is what the government should do. And then it gives us a download in the next five chapters on what the government should do because no single person is capable or even qualified to have justice, to, to make sure that they administer justice. So in the Old Testament, he gives it, he gives it to the government. In the New Testament, what does he give it to? He gives it to Jesus Christ. He says justice is done at the cross, and everybody will be paid by who? By us? By me? No, everybody will be paid by the Savior who was absolutely perfect, died and put all of his sin, all of our sins on his shoulders, and paid for the price, so justice is his. He is the one that administers all justice, went to the grave, and rose again, and now stands on the throne, now stands on the the seat of justice. Justice has never been intended for any of us. It's never been intended because it never works. Because if we give justice and we administer justice, all it does is create tension and more of a fight. It creates the fight and the scrap that takes place and continues to go on. So justice is never ours. If we ever can get rid of anger, you have to look at Christ and say, God, get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander. You have to look at Christ and say, God, I have been completely destroyed and annihilated by somebody. But that annihilation, that destruction is going to be in me, and it is going to ruin me, it's going to slaughter me, and it's going to wipe me out, and it is not my job. It is yours to make sure justice is administered. Therefore, I'm going to give you the power. I'm going to give you the power. So bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, and malice can be done away with. You know, we got the cross for the salvation, but we also get the cross to say, I'm in control, and everything is going to be right in time. Maybe not yet, but everything's going to be right in time. So first thing, if you can get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, malice, you have to just have it in mind. Justice is not and never will be my responsibility. It's never my position. I am not the judge. Don't worry, there is a judge, and he is perfect, and everything's going to be completely right, but I'm not it. Number two, the next thing you need to think about is live to give life. Live to give life. That's the reason for your existence. You live to give life. Yesterday I was... uh, at the, um, the father-son. Actually, I guess it was Friday night. I was at the father and son. They're also there this morning. But um, I was at the father and son, and you have all these champion fathers that are with their kids, and, and the kids are catching fish, and the father's just beaming from ear to ear, just watching the, their son catch fish. And uh, it's just enjoyable to watch. You just walk around, and you see the dads. They're just, they're just, they're just all over this game. And, and uh, there's two, um, I would say, stellar dads that were out there. I mean, two dads that I've always looked at and said, you know, there's, that's, a, that's a great dad. And, um, and I was sitting there talking to one of the dads as, as I was sitting on the bank. Actually, I was talking to two of the dads, and their kids were out there trying to catch fish. And, and as I was talking to one of the dads, um, I never knew this, but he said, you know, I never hardly knew my father. Only had a handful of conversations with my father. And I look at him and say, what? You only had a handful of conversations? I mean, look what you do with your kids. Look how you're raising your kids. You, you're like completely invested, completely sold out. He says, yeah, I've you know, only had a couple, couple conversations with my father. And then the other stellar dad that was listening on to our conversations, he said, I only had one conversation on the phone, and I've never even seen my father. And here we got five kids, five little kids that are sitting on this dock 
catching fish like crazy. And then all this joy has taken place. All this is just, is just completely lit up, and we're all just celebrating it and celebrating our children. And then they give me their story that's behind. Without seeing their father, they should have bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and malice, and they have the right to it. But what are they doing? They live to give life right now. You see, God's a God of justice that we can hand this to him so we don't destroy the things that are in front of us. We can hand all this pain to him so we don't destroy the things in front of us. And as I was talking to these fathers, they said, oh yeah, we're changing it. This generation is going to stop. It's going to stop now. And the only way it's going to stop is with Jesus Christ, knowing that he's the judge, knowing that I can let my past go, knowing I can let my history go because I have responsibility right now and they're sitting on that dock as little children that need to have a dad that I never experienced and never had as a result. When Christ comes, he comes with such power and he wants us to give life to others. But we can't if we think that we are the judge. We can't if it's not our focus to make sure that life is given. So take off these things, and then he says, put on this, kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. I can't see how anybody can do that without a Savior, (laughs) Jesus Christ. I can't see how anybody can do that without a Savior, Jesus. Because when something happens to us, we all know justice must be done. We all know something needs to take place. The gospel message is the only thing that we can hang on to for the purpose of transformation. And we can see it even right here. Number five, originally at creation, God wanted us to be fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue, and have dominion on the earth. It's what we were originally created for. Genesis 1:27 talks about it. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I wonder if Paul had this passage in mind in Ephesians when he wrote this. Because Paul is communicating to us, light up the world around you. (laughs) Go after it. Fill it. Subdue it. Rule it. Be the best boss. Be the best employee. Society is there. Go after society, and the Christians should be leading the charge in regards to society. Light up the world around it. Light up the people around you. No unwholesome talk out of your mouth. Make everybody alive. Every word that you speak, make it a a word where people live as a result of the word. Take every step to light yourself up. We're incapable of doing either one of those. We cannot light up a world around us, and we cannot light up people around us if we don't take steps to light ourselves up. And again, the only way we're going to do that is go right to the cross and say, God, I am saved. My old is gone, and my new is here. Therefore, I have to release so others can live. God, we thank you for the challenge in Ephesians. God, it's a big challenge because all of us have an old life, God, that haunts us. We all have an old life, God, that is behind us that we'd like to deny, we'd like to stuff, we'd like to get rid of. God, uh, that old life, God, is no longer yours when we are in you. 
That old life, God, is no longer yours when we are in you. We have been born again with a new master, a new savior, a new father, a new God, a new mission, a new purpose. Everything is new, God, at salvation. Thank you, God, for the salvation message, the salvation that you've given us, God. And I pray that we'll hang on to it, God, with a tight grip, knowing that it is a source to make us alive in this world. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.